can make us sing, what can make us praise, even through our pain, shout your name. Our God sing. When the world is falling apart, there's a peace standing in our hearts. Our God sing. Oh God so loved everyone that he sent his only son to take away our sin and shame. He did not come here to condemn, but to save the world through him for all of us. To believe He offers life eternally Life eternally When the world is falling apart There's a peace down deep in our hearts God sing. Yes, I sing. Oh, God so loved everyone that He sent His only Son to take away our sin and shame. He did not come here. But to save the world through Him For all of us who believe He offers life eternally For life eternally Hallelujah, our God saves All our sins washed away Yes, our God saves Oh, hallelujah, our God saves All our sins washed away Yes, our God God so loved everyone that He sent His only Son to take away our sin and shame. He did not come here to condemn, but to save the world through Him. For all of us who believe, He offers life eternally. Good morning, Carpenter's Way. 
Uh, if you didn't grab some, uh, I don't know what we even call them, those little communion packets, little Lunchables, whatever. If you didn't grab those on your way in, uh, you might want to at some point get out there and get that because we're going to have communion at the end of the service. Is Ashley Jordan in here? I know she would love it if I called her out. Um, I believe about, a, I don't know, a few weeks ago, she had mentioned that, hey, we have our kids in our service all the time, and we always do these adult songs, but we never do kids' songs. I was like, you know what? I've never thought of that. That's actually right. So if you guys remember, I guess it's been about six, seven weeks ago, we had our VBS here, and uh, it was called Grow, and uh, we wrote a song called Grow, and so if the kids are in the room, we have some motions, you can watch them, uh, you don't have to do it, but if you're in the room, kids, this is your opportunity, here we go. I want to grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me, and show, show, show how your love has set me free, and go, 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 tell the world so they can see. You're amazing. Go shout it out. Shout it out. You're never gonna let me go. Shout it out. You are my God. Shout it out. My Savior has set me free. Not to us, but for your glory. I wanna grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me. Show, show, show how your love has set me free. Go, 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 tell the world so they can see. You're amazing. That's great. Shout it out. Shout it out. I want the world to see. Shout it out. You have changed me. Shout it out, my lips will forever sing, not to us, but for your glory. I want to grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me. Show, show, show how your love has set me free. And go, 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 tell the world so they can see. Sing that again. I want to grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me. Show, show, show how your love has set me free. Go, 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 tell the world so they can see. We're not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to shout your name. I'm not ashamed to shout your name. To shout your name, I'm not ashamed. I wanna grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me, and show, show, show how your love has set me free. And go, 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 tell the world so they can see. I wanna grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me. Show, show, show how your love has set me free. Go, 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 tell the world so they can see you're amazing.
we are weak. You are strong. Who can compare? Who can sit on your throne? You give us life. us breath, we gladly rest in the palm of your hand. We worship you, oh, and we worship you, our oh, and we worship Maker of heaven and of earth, you were, you are, and you will always be. What could we do? What could we do? Where could we go? No height, no depth, there is no height, there is no depth, nothing can take love reveal in your death. We worship you, oh, and we worship you, We worship you, our God. Yeah. You are the everlasting, the maker of heaven and of earth. You were, you are, and you will always be. Forever faithful, our salvation comes from you alone, and you never change. And your love reigns from beginning to end, beginning to end. You never change, and though we wander, you remain all our hope. Is in your name Beginning to end You never change And though we wonder You remain All I hope Is in your name You're the everlasting You are the everlasting the maker of heaven and of earth, you were, you are, and you will always be. And you are forever faithful. Salvation comes from you alone, and you never change, and your love beginning to end. 
seek to end, you never change. And though we wander, you remain. All our hope is in your name. Beginning to end, you never change. And though we wander, you remain. All our hope is in your name. Let's sing it just the vocals beginning. Beginning to end, you never change. And though we wander, you remain. All our hope is in your name. Let's sing that one more time, beginning to end. Beginning to end, you never change. And though we wander, you remain. All our hope in your name oh it's in your name amen amen if you'd like to we're going to ask you to stand for a reading of scripture today so then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven Jesus the son of God let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Amen. Who is like our God? We spoke and there was love and saw how it should be. Who is like our God? We sent His Son to die to set the captive free. We will exalt You. I got the key over all the earth. We will sing, be enthroned with our worship to you by the praise that you do. Oh, be enthroned, let our worship reach you. Like the sin of perfume, lifting you where you belong. Oh, be enthroned, be enthroned. Who is like? God, with strength beyond compare, and love that knows no end. Who is like our God, the ever reigning King, and always faithful friend, 
we will exalt you I got the key and over all the earth we will sing being through with our worship to you by the praise that you do being through let our worship reach you like the scent of perfume lifting you will you be low oh being through over all our and over all our suffering and over all our fear and over every and over every tear and over all of our desires and over all our dreams we exalt you high oh lord we enthrone you our king we enthrone you I worship to you by the praise that you're doing. Oh, be enthroned that I worship, reach you like the scent of perfume. Lifting you, will you be low? Oh, be enthroned, be enthroned with our worship to you by the praise that you'll do oh be enthroned let our worship reach you like the scent of perfume lifting you will you be low oh be enthroned be It is. 
Kids are dismissed for GPS. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's through third grade, and they go in and they have a little worship service for their age group. It's so good to see you this morning. I see some people I haven't seen for a while, and uh, man, I was going to make a joke about COVID, but there's nothing funny about COVID, so I, I'll stop. 
See, that's me filtering. I have to tell you I'm filtering because my therapist says it's good for my ego. <laughs> it's so good to see you this morning. What an awesome... She saluted me. I salute back. We, uh, uh, man, what a great song, isn't it? And I, I, just, I just feel compelled to tell you again that the reason it's well with our soul is cause not because we're joining a church or we're worshiping together or because we're moral people, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And even if you are struggling with your flesh, man, I struggle with my flesh, anger, you know, thoughts that I shouldn't have. God has, has 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's what makes us right with God. We gather together each week for the purpose of encouraging each other. And I hope you're encouraged uh, having been here together today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20 as we continue to work through the book of Acts. we got about five or six more weeks in this book. And then we're going to go and do a study in the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia. And uh, uh, we're, it's entitled... Uh, um, well, I'll tell you about that later, because I'll reveal, a, I've got a thing I'm going to show you, and it's going to be great. It's gonna, it is going to be great. It's, it's, it's the only way. How, what is salvation? What does it mean? And Galatians is a little Romans, and, and uh, it's going to be a wonderful study. And for those of you who are visiting or watching online, I want to remind you, you can study with us. Even if you're part of a different church, you can join in and, and watch and in the archives, and disagree, you can write me, and we can, we can discuss, because at the end of the day, all that matters is what the Word of God says, God's self-revelation to us. So, so thanks for tuning in this morning. Thank you for being here. It's great to see you guys this morning, and it's a wonderful text, so I'm pretty excited about it. I do want to, uh, uh, Brad, uh, do you have in the back, if you did not get communion, if you are a child of God at the end of our service today, if you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus, we're going to have communion at the end of our, uh, the message this morning. And uh, with the world the way it is, we used to pass the plate with open communion stuff in it. And now we give you these little uh, communion snack packs, as they are affectionately called. And I guess we even have them for those that are glucose intolerant now. Have we hit the Welcome to 2005. We are really there. Um, but it's, it's better than the ones in the past. And the ones in the past, you'd open the top and the bottom would open and you pour grape juice all over yourself, which is interesting too. But this is opposite size and it tastes better So because uh, we care about your taste. <laughs> Carpenter's Way, where you get a menu. But anyway, so if you didn't get one of those, Brad Bustler's in the back, would you just look at him and he will bring you some? I know, unless you want to just get up and go, people get up and get coffee during the message anyway. I always want to go sit back down, I'm not done. But, but if you, uh, Brad's in the back, if you did not get these and you want to take communion with us this morning, uh, just, let, just look at him and he'll, he'll give them to you and, and uh, we'll make sure that we do that this morning. If you're watching from home, get yourself some juice and a piece of bread and you can join with us later and I'll explain what that's all about as well. Um, I want to remind you, especially those of you who are just coming back, uh, we communicate mostly right now our, adver our advertisements, our information, stuff that's upcoming through, uh, through email. And if you, uh, uh, on Fridays, there's a prayer guide that goes out and a bulletin, a virtual bulletin, so that you can see everything going on. It allows us to put more stuff in there. And uh, if you don't get those at the end of our service day, or if you're visiting and you want to make sure you're getting the information, there's a table that says, welcome to CW, uh, Carpenter's Way out there. And uh, my dad and Karen and my, my mama Karen will be out there at the table after, and you can meet them and tell them how much you love their son. Uh, 
And you can fill out an info, that, that, was, that was in my mind. Thank you, Pam, you always laugh. About 80% of the time you laugh at my joke and the other 20% you don't have a sense of humor. But, but as you, as you exit, just go to that table and they'll have you fill out some, just a, a card just to make sure you get all that information. And it, it even allows us, even if you put your cell phone in there, it allows us at last minute to send a text to you to say, hey, you know, we've got power out or whatever, but it'll be a way to communicate. At the end of our service as well, after we take communion together, we're going to pray for our Amazon team. They're leaving Saturday. Is that right? What day are you leaving? Thursday. Like I said, Thursday. I'm aware of everything going on in the church. Uh, but Thursday, they're leaving for Amazon. They're going to be spending a, a week on the river there at Sharing Christ in villages, and, and uh, this is really a blessing. We had to cancel last year's. Uh, for those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way, we, we are very mission-oriented, and what that means is we, we, are, we support ministries in the community as well as globally uh, for the purpose of sharing the gospel and, and uh, helping people come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, most of that, we support others doing that, and then sometimes we go in and we participate with them. We have a team that goes to Guatemala every year. We have teams that go to uh, the Amazon every year, at least one, sometimes two. And uh, we try to help support you in that financially. And, if, and in the future, if, you, if, if God is leading you to go, I know that uh, about Brazil, Kevin and Pam Hudson would love to talk with you about that, or Guatemala, um, the Overbees who lead that trip. But that's coming up. So at the end of our service, we're going to pray uh, for that as well. Uh, Barbara, I've got a job for you. If I forget to do that, I want you to throw something at me. Every, anything but your Bible, okay? A chair or anything. So, all right. Um, I want to jump in uh, by, uh, to our text today by telling you a story that, that had a huge impact in my life. I cannot believe that Julie and I will be having our 34th wedding anniversary this summer. That's huge. I can't believe she's that old. Um, but uh, we dated at Moody Bible Institute. We met the third day of school when she trapped me and said, you're going to be my husband, and I submitted immediately. Uh, we dated for three years while we were students at Moody and graduated. And for those of you who don't know what Moody Bible Institute is, it is an independent Bible school. In the United States, uh, during the 1800s, all over the country, Bible institutes were started for the purpose of training Sunday school teachers. Uh, and they were everywhere. Uh, some of them, you are maybe familiar with Biola out in California. That started as a Bible Institute. There was one, I think, here in Texas, but they were all over. There were some in Florida. They were very popular, and the only one left of that ilk is really, I think even, um, I don't want to start guessing other schools, but many of the schools that now are liberal arts colleges that have Christian names were started as Bible schools. And the purpose was to train non-vocational people. If you were going to be vocationally a pastor full-time, you would go on to seminary, but you would start in a Bible institute, and they would teach you the Word because they wanted Sunday schools and churches to be founded on good doctrine. Well, Moody Bible Institute's about the only one left in the United States that still does that on an uh, on a, on a undergrad level that trains you, and now they have a seminary and different things. But we had the privilege of being a part of this. We would have people that we didn't even realize come through that had graduated from Moody in the past. Um, and uh, one of the reasons you, I, I tell you all the time that I'm, I'm not a Baptist is I wasn't, I wasn't really raised denominationally. Uh, and Moody Bible Institute is not a denominational school. Uh, you're familiar with Bible churches. Well, that's not a denomination. That's an independent church that says, look, we follow the Bible. But with that being said, at Moody, you weren't denominational. You just went there and you learned the scriptures. Uh, we learned church history, but not a denominational church history. Does it make sense? Well, one of the things that happened in our time there is we got to run across a lot of really impressive generational godly men and women. 
We had the opportunity, uh, for many of you know Warren Wiersbe, we heard him preach many times while he was still with us. Walverd, John Walverd would come and he would speak all the time. It was closely connected to Dallas Theological Seminary. But one of the names that only a few of you are going to know that we got to hear was Theodore Epp. Um, does anybody know who he was? It has become clear to me that Southern Baptist has its own thing and the South has their own preachers and the rest of the country has their own thing. But Theodore Epp was in the 50s and 60s and 70s, was one of the most famous radio theologians there was. Before the TV got popular, there was the radio. And these guys would do discipleship hour on the radio every week. And I remember growing up and listening to him in my home. And I had no idea he was associated with Moody Bible Institute. But one, one chapel, uh, the president of the school got up and said, we have a very special guest today. He called and asked if he could speak to you, the student body today. And, uh, and so here he is, and he introduces Theodore Epp, and I was like, whoa, I, I know him. And uh, this guy with a cane walked up to the pulpit, and he was frail, and he began to speak. And uh, I will never forget the words he started. He did not speak long, but what he said was, I have run the race, I have fought the good fight, and now it's your turn to step up to the mic and take over, for I'm going home. That was crazy. I mean, I remember, I remember sitting there and Julie and I were going, something big just happened. And a friend of ours took him to the airport after he spoke that morning and said he could hardly get in the plane. And it was, what, two weeks later, we were having lunch. Huh? I'm sorry? Okay. Well, anyway, we were uh, two or three weeks later, uh, we were in the dining hall and we were eating and the announcement came over that Theodore Epp went to be with the Lord. Uh, he knew... His time had come, and he was passing the torch. Uh, again, Moody Bible Institute is not the finest educational institute in the world, but it is a school that predominantly trains ministers. You, you don't get anything else. When we were there, it was a three-year school. We didn't even get a degree. I had to go to the University of Wisconsin to finish my bachelor's degree. Then I went on to seminary in Michigan. But it was a very impactful moment, and as I was reading the text this week in Acts 20, you're going to know exactly why I thought of it. Because basically by the end of this chapter, you're going to hear Paul do much of the same thing. Ministry wasn't something Paul did for occupation or because he was tasked with it. It was his life. It had become the very purpose for which he lived. Unfortunately for us, we, uh, one of the, uh, we, it is such a blessing, let me start with this, to live in a free country. It is such a blessing to be able to gather anytime we want, any day of the week, we can open the building and not worry about government involvement. But there is a weakness to that as well, and that's that we take it for granted. But if you meet a believer in China, a true follower of Jesus Christ in China, or in Iran, where they are regularly persecuted and many are killed for what they believe, it isn't a casual thing, it is their whole life. And because of the freedoms we have, and especially in the Bible Belt, it kind of becomes just a thing. But, but in the New Testament times, especially as it became something that cost them dearly, relationships with family, relationships with their culture, relationships with their religious upbringing, the more problems it caused, the more they had to ask themselves, what is value? What is truth? And it drove them back to decide what they believed and where they placed their faith. And for Paul and many of the people we've been studying over recent months, uh, it cost them everything. And so they weren't just worshipers. They were fully devoted followers of Jesus. And that is a foreign concept in this country now 
Because as I mentioned to you last week, um, Pew did a, did a survey in this country and they came up with, and they were taking a shot at it because it used to be much higher, but there's like 72% of people in the United States of America consider themselves Christians. 72%, are you kidding me? If that were the case, we wouldn't have the culture we have today. I, I just want to be clear. But calling yourself a Christian is different than being a follower of Jesus. And we've sh- I've shared with you before that it's becoming more and more difficult for me personally to associate, self, associate myself with Christianity because it means so many things to so many people. And Christians themselves and churches themselves are even deciding if some sins matter. And the truth is the Word of God, within its context, speaks for itself. And being a follower of Jesus not only will bring you enormous peace and hope and joy for the next life, it is well with Horatio Spafford's soul, the guy who wrote that. He wrote the first part of the chorus and part of the first verse as he was in the middle of the ocean looking over where his wife and all but one of his kids, or his, not his wife, but his children had all drowned. He's looking at the waves and now go back and listen to the first verse like sorrow, like sea billows roll. He's writing this there. It was not well with his soul because he was happy in the moment. It was well with his soul because he knew that his soul was entrusted to Yahweh, to a God who made a promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you no matter how much pain you experience. That's why we sing that song. We don't sing it because we gather together. We don't sing it because it's a beautiful traditional hymn, although it is. We sing it because it's true. And if it's not true in your heart, meet Jesus he is your hope no matter what you face. So, it had become to Paul and the church that began as a ragtag group of about 120 followers of Jesus meeting in the upper room of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. This, this movement, this Jesus movement of followers of Jesus became a life-transforming, Holy Spirit-entered, powerful thing so powerful that they were willing to endure enormous persecution as we have seen throughout Acts. The message of Christ had gone from Jerusalem to Judea and, and even to Samaria and now had spread throughout the, utter, the parts of the, all over the known world at that time. And you know why now, because we studied it. It's because of persecution. We have every reason to believe that they would have stayed in Jerusalem if the Jewish hierarchy had not begun persecuting the believers. And you recall that one of the major persecutors was a guy by the name of Saul that we now know as Paul, who actually wrote uh, at least 15 books of the New Testament. Paul was one of those persecutors, and he became a follower of Jesus when he met him. And as these believers ran for their lives out of Jerusalem, and some to Judea, and then the the persecutors chased them to Judea because that was also a Jewish region, and they begin to be persecuted there, and they run for their lives, and they go to Samaria. Why do they go to Samaria? Because the Jews wouldn't go there. So they're literally running for their lives, but everywhere they go, they still talk of salvation through faith in Christ alone. Not in church involvement, not in morality, but actually redemption from an immoral life. Uh, Salvation. And and as a result of that, the church 
uh, the church grew. People, followers of Christ grew. And discipleship, which means making people followers of the rabbi, which, is, which means teacher, Jesus. And, and as it grew, uh, and as they ran, they started sending out people to share Christ. And Paul and Barnabas and Silas, they're some of those people. But others were sent out. The reason we know so much about Paul isn't just that he wrote much of the New Testament, but because Luke, the author of church history, actually traveled with him, and you'll see that today. It is really, really important, especially as we start ending our study in this book, it's important that you understand that what we have been studying over months actually went over a period of decades. Decades. The last apostle alive that wrote a book in the New Testament would be John. John dies around 90 A.D., okay? Jesus ascends into heaven between 30 and 33 A.D. So you have about a 60-year period between the ascension of Jesus and the last New Testament book written and the last apostle being alive. 60 years. And basically, we've already gone through all of the stories that involve where Paul went where he eventually writes a letter to those churches. We went quickly. A matter of months. But this is these people's lives. This is what they lived. This is what they saw. Something had happened in the decades of this young church that we have read about in Acts. Something else, though, that we haven't said yet. As the gospel spread, safe places for Christians, especially of their loudest ministers like Paul and Barnabas and Silas and the apostles, they shrunk. Safe places. Because as the gospel spread to every corner of the earth, so too did persecution. And it is with that in mind that we read Acts chapter 20, and we'll start with verse 1. When the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye, and he left for Macedonia. This uproar that Luke just talked about, let's pause for a second and pray, okay? Let's just take a moment and ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that you are here among us, you are in us, you are, uh, you are speaking to us, and it is my prayer, Father, that we would hear from you today. May the words of Mark fade away so that the word of God would endure forever. It is your word that is, that is powerful and life-changing. So please do your work. If there, uh, for those that don't know you, may today be the day that they meet you and they are adopted in your family, and for the rest of us, may we be willing to count the cost. Amen. So the uproar that Luke referred to here in this first verse of Acts chapter 20 is, uh, took place in Ephesus, and you know Ephesus because it's uh, a letter in the New Testament, and actually you remember Timothy. Later, Timothy is sent to Ephesus by Paul to pastor. Uh, Ephesus, uh, actually 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John is writing to his little spiritual children. He says, my little, dear little children, he loves them. That's, those are the people in Ephesus. I mean, Ephesus is all over the New Testament. And I would argue that Ephesus is actually Paul's favorite church. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't love the rest, but it is, uh, and, I, and I don't want to, I have people from previous ministries that, uh, that I don't want to hurt your feelings, but the truth is you do have favorite seasons of your life. And I have enjoyed, and Julie and I have enjoyed every one of them, but there's been nothing like Carpenter's Way. You know, I've told you before that when we came to Carpenter's Way, you not only needed us to open the Word, which is the job of a shepherd, but we needed you to teach us about body life. The things that you have given back, uh, well, we can never repay in ministry. And that's the same with Paul. 
You recall last week when this uproar happened, and let me remind you of the uproar, what happened was the effect of the gospel, and I didn't get into this last week, but for those of you who are afraid of what is happening in the United States, the immorality, the hate for, for religion, um, I want you to take a thought about Ephesus. You remember that Ephesus was the central, it was the, it was the temple for the powerful and very well-known goddess uh, uh, Artemis, for, uh, the Greek goddess. And the community was extremely rich. It was a seaside town, and it was very rich. And it was rich because people came from all over to worship Artemis. They would buy little false gods. And as people were getting saved in Ephesus, because Paul had spent three years there and they were ministering there, as he spent three years there, guess what? People stopped needing. They no longer placed their hope in a God that was made by hands, but they put their hope in God who, who always was. And so the, the natural result of that was they didn't need to buy these false gods. And they stopped, attempting, uh, uh, they stopped attending the temple. And when they didn't go to the temple, they didn't give to the temple. And so one of these guys who made his living, a tradesman, at, at making these synagogues or these temples or these church places of worship for the goddess Artemis, one of the people who built it got together all the tradesmen and said, look, um, I'm just telling you, this guy, Paul, is going all over the world, and people aren't worshiping anymore, and we're going to lose our livelihood. And you remember last week when we talked about it in the debate, if you haven't read chapter 19 of Acts, it's very, very clear. Basically, they start a riot, and they end up at an amphitheater in Ephesus, and they want to drag Paul in, but they can't find him, so they drag two of his associates in. And actually, the church protects Paul by saying, you can't go there. They literally hold him back. They keep him from going in and defending Christianity because he'll be killed there. So these people loved Paul as much as he loved them. They had saved his life at at least one occasion. He loved them. That's how we feel about you. Seriously. I would attend this church if I wasn't pastoring, unless the preaching was bad. I, 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 just, I just want to take a moment and get, I get this, because you are that special to us. I mean, some of you are better looking than others, but we still like you. I know you're all wondering, am I ugly? <laughs> Ask your spouse. But, but seriously, I, I, know, I know how culture is in churches, but we're not here because I, I can preach anywhere. We're here because of you. We love you. And we're excited what God is teaching us. I mean, when Chad sang the Grow song this morning, how cool is that, what, what God's allowing us to do together? This week, we've got a team going to Brazil, and they're going to be there for a week, and they're going to leave behind the truth. It is so amazing to see what God is doing through this body, and we are so humbled and honored to be a part of it with you. Thank you for allowing us. Thank you for not firing me. I probably deserve it, but I'm so thankful for you. Okay, enough mushy stuff. Okay, let's get back to the text. But it's true. So, when this uproar is over, they've protected Paul. They send him on. Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye to the Ephesian believers, and he leaves from Macedonia. Verse 2 of Acts uh, 20. While there, he encouraged the believers in all the towns he passed through. Then he traveled down to Greece, where he stayed for three months. He was preparing to sail back to Syria when he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life. So he decided to return through Macedonia. Now, now let this sink into your brain, what his life is like right now. Don't just run through and go, okay, what's the next message? Just listen and take it in. He leaves Ephesus after this uproar where they wanted to kill him and others. 
And then he goes to this other place and he's traveling town to town and he finds out that they're secretly trying to attack him and kill him. I mean, his life is rough. So instead, he decides to go back through Macedonia. Verse 4, several men were traveling with him. And, okay, so I used to pretend I knew how to, pretend, uh, I knew how to pronounce these Greek names, but I want you to know we have a couple of Greek scholars in this church. I know who you are, so don't correct me. I've been very clear. These names are about to be pronounced wrong. They should have named them Mark and John and Luke and James. But they didn't just to mess with me. There was Sopatar, the son of Pyrrhus, uh, from Berea, Aristarchus, and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy, and Tychus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia. They went on ahead. So that was his mission team, all those weird named people. And they went on ahead and they waited for us at Troas. After, notice he said us, now Luke's involved in this journey. After Passover ended, we boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia. And five days later, we joined them in Troas and we stayed a week. Paul knew the power of the enemies of the gospel because he had been one of them. And he is trying not only to protect himself for the purpose of the ministry, but he's trying to, to protect his team. The good news of the freedom in Christ had spread to most of the known world by this time. And along with the wonderful message of hope came powerful enemies of the gospel whose goal it was to, si was to silent Paul and all of its messengers, much like is going on today across the globe and is beginning to happen even in the United States. So Paul begins to move his way around the Asian region, encouraging as many as he could. Verse 7. On the first day of the week, which is what day? Somebody tell me, what's the first day of the week? Think, 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 think. It's Sunday. The last day of the week is Saturday. The first day of the week is Sunday. So here's a, here is a very important thing. I mean, it's just important for context. But what's happened is the, the, the followers of Jesus, who are predominantly Jews at their core, are no longer gathering on the Sabbath, which is not Sunday. It's on Saturday. And now they're meeting on Sunday. And what changed? The resurrection. We can go back in history and we can find that when these followers of Jesus and even in extra-biblical material stopped gathering on, on Saturday, most of them, and started gathering on Sunday. It's one of the most powerful evidences of the resurrection. Something happened where they all changed, and it was Sunday. And you see that here. So just a side note. On the first day of the week, which is Sunday, we gathered the, the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them. That's That's communion. Uh, Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. You've never had a pastor that did that, did you? <laughs> the upstairs room where we met, listen to how Luke records this, though. It's actually kind of funny to me. The, the upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. So Luke is actually there, and he's describing the room. So you have, he's preaching late into the night. It's been going on for a long time, and there's a fr flickering candles, and as Paul spoke on and on, the Greek doesn't say on and on, but it does infer that he is long-winded. I love that. So he's, he's speaking on and on. A young man named Eutychus, sitting on, the win, uh, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. That's never happened in my preaching. Finally, he fell asleep. I love that, finally. So as it went on and on, he fell asleep and he dropped three stories to his death below. That is not what you want, you, what you want to happen when you're preaching. Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms and said, don't worry, he's alive. Paul raised him from the dead. 
I mean, what a way to minister. First, you put people to sleep because you ramble on and on. And that's the sense I get. And then God endorses your ministry one final time by allowing you to resurrect the guy you put to sleep and eventually you're responsible for if manslaughter laws work, you are responsible for his death. So Paul tells everyone, now, now pay attention, so we've got a death here, we've got a kid falling three stories in the middle of a service that's going on and on and on and on. And he falls to his death and then Paul says he's okay, he's not dead, he goes over, he leans over the boy and the very next verse says, then they all went back upstairs, they shared in the Lord's Supper, and they ate together. I just want to pause. Luke thought it important enough to tell us that there was flickering candles, so there was a very relaxing setting, but apparently nothing else was going on after he raises the kid from the dead. They all went upstairs just like it was a normal thing. They shared in the Lord's Supper, and they ate together. Paul continued talking to them until dawn. I mean, this is a great story. And then he leaves. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home alive and well, and everybody was greatly relieved. I love this story. I love this story because this is Luke telling us again what life was like in the first New Testament church. What was life like? I think it's interesting as well that nobody's freaking out. If, if somebody dropped dead, if I dropped dead, <laughs> it wouldn't be me. If Adam dropped dead right now, and I said, I didn't say act it out, Adam. You don't have to add it. Thank you, Josie. You keep control of your father for me. If he dropped dead because of my preaching, he fell asleep and he dropped dead there, and I got down and raised him from the dead, do you know what we would do next? We would stop the service. We'd probably sing a song. We would go out and we would tell them, next Sunday I'm going to heal all the dead people. Because that's what we do today. Because what we obsess over is not what God is doing. We obsess over what we want done. And they don't do that here. They just go back to worship because that's what they were there for. They go back to have the communion they hadn't been able to have because this gathering wasn't about what you get. It is about who you serve. The privilege of being with Christ. This was never supposed to be about organized religion or, or what we can do for you. This is about what Jesus can do for you. That's the only reason we gather under a name out front is because we have agreed together on the Word of God being final truth. And you know, i got to be truthful, and you guys know this, there's a lot of Southern Baptist churches that don't even like what we do. We go through Scripture, and that's a problem. I've had pastors in East Texas tell me, I could never do that, to which I go, whoa, what? I could never do what you do. What is it you do? I mean, I just, well, I teach themes, you know, marriage and stuff. I go, man, I don't have that much information. I'm still trying to work out my marriage. We've only been married 34 years. We've been dating 37. I met two guys this morning as we gathered to pray before our service who've been married over 50 years. I got nothing to tell them about marriage. They can tell me about marriage. Actually, Carol, we found out this morning that Larry's tried to divorce Carol, but she said, absolutely not. I will not let you divorce me. <laughs> I mean, it's just marriage, you know, but, but, but what we gather, I don't remember why I went into that. That's not true, by the way. That's a joke that, that we made. But, but the fact rem remains, you guys, that what we talk about is Jesus. We don't have anything else to talk about. When you surrender your life to Jesus, it affects how you treat your sister in Christ, who's your wife. When your life is surrendered to the Lord, it affects how you interact with your neighbors, whether they're straight or gay. It, interact, it, it involves how you vote, and then at the end of the vote, you still trust the Lord. It affects singing songs like it is well with my soul because it really, really is well with my soul. You don't have, to, don't have to hope this is right because you have a personal relationship with God, not a religious relationship with God, but a personal. There is hope for you. And so as these people gather 
as these people are gathered and they watch this kid die and get raised from the dead, they go immediately back upstairs after he's raised and, and, and he, they share the Lord's Supper, which is why they had gathered. And it tells us that Paul Randall rambled on and on. I love that. And maybe I'm reading too much in it, but I went back and it's really just, he was rambling that night. And why was he rambling? Because he was never going to see him again. And he's worried. I mean, okay, that goes against everything I just said. Yeah, you still worry about your spiritual children. You, he's about to leave them and he's never going to see them again. You'll see this in a moment. And, you know, he just wants to make sure he gets all the information to him. Remember Jesus because Satan's going to come and attack you. And, and we're going to see what he says to the Ephesian elders in a moment so you'll get an idea of what he's saying. And you're going to understand why he talked all night. Why? Because he didn't want to leave them. He didn't want to leave them. He loved these people. And trusting your flock to the Lord should be easy, but it is not. Do you trust your kids to the Lord? Of course I do, as you still take care of them, and as you still worry about being involved. I know that. I've got a grandson now. And I've got to be honest with you. Hannah and Zach are on their way back to Dallas because her grandmother is, it, it looks like, is passing away. But I've got to tell you something. They are screwing my grandkid up. Grandparents just laughed. Because as you watch your kids, you go, I don't think they're old enough to raise a kid. Gosh, I'm still raising them. Do you know what I'm saying? They'll do fine. But you know what I mean. It's hard to trust God. It's hard because it goes against everything that my flesh says, which is don't let the government go socialist. Make sure your grandson is raised better than your kids. Make sure that the church is done differently. Make sure that, and that is Satan, because what he, God is saying is you just trust me. You just teach the truth and pray, and I got this handled, right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. Boy, isn't that how we live? Yes, but pastor, if we know whatever, this is going to go this way. Don't lean on your own understanding. We've been studying Revelation on Wednesday nights, and one of the things that's clear is God's got a plan even when bad things happen to believers. Even through martyrdom, God's got a plan. In fact, the martyrs, those, Revelation tells us that those who have been killed for the faith actually are crying out for God in the throne to avenge their blood. And God on the throne actually says to them, in time, but not yet, more have to die. Well, that isn't very nice. Well, it's okay if you see the big picture. And it is well with our soul, not because God's going to avenge us in this life, but because in the, in the big picture, which only God sees, we can trust him. If you don't trust him, you're going to have a knot in your stomach and you're going to be on anxiety meds and you're going, to, you're going to drink a little bit. It's hard to trust, but it is our task. And so he speaks all night and this happens and let's move on. Um, I'm going to jump to 2013, Luis. Paul then, after he leaves them, he went by land to Assos where he had arranged for us to join him while we traveled by ship. So he starts in Ephesus, the uproar's over, he leaves, he travels around, they're trying to kill him, so he sneaks back to Macedonia and he gathers with some believers and he tries to minister to them. While ministering to them, a kid falls out of the window and dies, he raises him from the dead, but the purpose of gathering isn't to have a, a show about healing, but instead to worship the Lord, so they go back up and worship. Then he leaves, he leaves and he sends them us, Luke, and the whole team as far as we know, he sends them by ship while he walks 20 miles 
from where he's at by land to meet them. It doesn't give us even a clue as to why he does this, but I wonder if he doesn't do the same thing as Jesus did. I want to remind you that after Jesus fed the 5,000 plus women and children, that's when he puts the boys in a boat and he tells them to go to the other side of the, of the, of the sea while he goes up to the mountain to be alone with his father that night. That's the night he walks on the sea and they freak out. But he goes up to the top of the mountain to be alone. Why? Because his cousin John had just been killed and his heart is broken. When he met the 5,000 people that needed to be fed, he was actually going up to be alone on the mountain. But his heart was hurting. And when he got there, he saw there was ministry to be done. So he stops doing his own thing and he ministers to them. But later that night, he still wants to go to be alone. And I want to point that out because I believe that what we are watching here is Paul hurt. He's sad. He just spoke all night. He raised a dead kid. You know, those things have an emotional attack. They, they have an effect on you. And even Jesus, it tells us in Isaiah, was a, was a man of many sorrows. Jesus wasn't walking around all the time going, <laughs> have you seen the chosen? They do such a good job at showing the grief in Jesus, the exhaustion of his ministry. We see him always as the convicting happy guy, turning tables over. But there is a Jesus, if you reread the Gospels, who was tired and sad and overwhelmed. And I want to add scared because he knew what was coming. And you know, you could, actually, I could make a strong case that Jesus didn't want to die. How could I say that? Because on the night he was betrayed, he actually prayed that his father would remove the cup of suffering he was about to endure. But not my will, Father, yours be done, he said. And I think Paul here is doing the same thing. I think Paul is just kind of walking along, thinking through what's going on. Maybe he stops along the road and ministers to people, but he doesn't have a long time to do that because he has to meet them for the, uh, with the ship to travel along. So he joined us there, verse 14, and we sailed together to Mytilene. The next day we sailed past the island of Chios. The following day we crossed to the island of Semos. And a day later, we arrived at Miletus. Isn't this crazy? I mean, he's, on, he's cruising. This is a cruise. That's funny. It's not the cruise we think of. But he's on a ship, and he's going from island to island. Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. Okay, my time there is done. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. And when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church of Ephesus, by the way, this is the Turkey. This is Turkey now. He sends a, a, a message to the elders of Ephesus asking them to come and meet him. As I would mentioned before, Paul loved this church, and he loved those elders. When they arrived, verse 18, he declared, so here's what's on his heart. You know that from the day I set foot on the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that come to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, and that is the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. I, I want to stop here. I want to pause, because what Paul is doing is he's reflecting on his ministry among them. I never ask you to pay me. It tells us that he was a tent maker. He supplied his own income by making tents. I wasn't, the message wasn't about me. It wasn't about religion. 
It wasn't even, and he goes on to say, I had the same message for the Jews and the Gentiles. In other words, he was not uplifting like he had in his previous life. He's not holding up Hebrew theology or doctrine. He's holding up Jesus. You see, the message of the gospel is not a social message. It's not a moral message. It's not a religious message. It's not even a political message. It's not a genetic message based upon the Hebrew people. The message of the gospel from the scriptures is right there in front of you. It's about repenting from sin, turning to God, and putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in yourself, not in your pastor, not in your denomination, not in your faith group, but in Jesus Christ. And as Paul mentions this stuff here, he says, I have endured the trials that came with me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for everybody, whether Jews or Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. If you are seeking the truth, the bottom line truth of the Bible, that's it. It may not be the Baptist truth. It may not be the Jehovah's Witness truth. It may not be the Mormon truth or the Catholic truth or the, or the Muslim truth. But this is the truth of the Bible. You can reject it. You can say, I don't want that. But you cannot deny that Paul just summarized the message that he has preached everywhere, whether they were Jews or Gentiles. And that is huge because Paul comes out of a Jewish heritage. He loved the Jews. He even says, if I could save them, I would be, I would be willing to be cast in hell if it could save all my people. Paul loved the Jews. But he is making this case that he did not change the message based upon the congregation he was speaking to or the group of people. The message was always the same. It is necessary to repent of sin, turn to God, and have faith in our Lord Jesus. If you're wondering what the gospel is, that's it. And it's actually expanded in Paul's writing in Romans. Romans chapter 3. And I read this just about every week because it is, in the New Living Translation, so easily understood. No one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. And you can fill in any religious tradition here. Why? Because you can't do it. You may never have murdered. This was what the Sermon on the Mount was about. If you've never murdered, good for you. But have you ever hated somebody? The Bible's Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that if you've hated in my, God, my Father's standards, that's like murder. He told the people in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if you've never committed adultery, good for you. But if you've ever lusted in my Father's standard, you've committed adultery. He keeps raising the bar because every time we think that we are moral good people, somebody asks us if we like their haircut. You can laugh because you know exactly what I'm talking about. I found out. I got to get a drink. I found out that most of you did not like my mullet. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't care. But I found out you didn't. And how I found out, because when I finally got my hair cut, I had a lot of you, including men, going, I like your hair shorter. And I'm like, dude, East Texas men don't talk like that. I didn't ask you to evaluate my looks, but I found out that you didn't like my haircut. And several of you, I asked, hey, what do you think of my mullet? And you're like, I like it. Liars. <laughs> Case made. You ever lusted? None of you have but me. I know it. You're all that good. You've never looked at a movie star and thought, wow. It would be easier to love my husband if he looked like that. Would be not you, Julie. 
The fact is we struggle every day. Every day. And there's only one thing that can deal with that kind of sin. Jesus Christ saying, sin gone. If only God would say, I forgive you and mean it. No one can be ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us what? How truly sinful we are. How much we mess up. Next verse. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Here it goes. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everybody's sin. Everyone falls short of God's standard. What's this glorious standard? Acceptability. We all fall short of it. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. It's called imputed righteousness. He says, you are made right with me. It's a declarative thing. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. You see, it wasn't your baptism that saved you. It was Jesus. It was the blood of Christ. It wasn't your church membership that saves you or teaching or being an elder or a Bible study leader. None of that stuff saves you. Jesus saves you. I know that, but, but he uses communion to save you. No, he doesn't. Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of what he's done. See, that's all communion is. Communion doesn't save you, and we're going to take it in a few minutes. It reminds you of how you got saved in the first place, and why would he want to do that? Because we forget, especially evangelicals in this culture. The way we treat sinners, especially the loudest ones, you would think we saved ourselves. We were just as big as sinners. They may be angrier, but the truth is, the louder they scream, the angrier they are, the more they realize they need Jesus. When your child, and none of you had a kid that did this, doesn't want to hear his truth, what do they do? They cover their ears. Because it's making its way in. You want to meet, you want to introduce, I don't know, I've got to think of somebody, somebody that we really don't like, as it usually that person in Hollywood or Washington, D.C., think of that person on your own. You want to really, really see them saved? Love them into the kingdom like God loved you. It doesn't mean we don't tell them about sin. That's the story. It's just that why are we hating on them? Because they act like fallen people. It bothers me too, but actually the truth is I'm reminded of how sinful I am and how much God have felt about me before I met him. We become kind of arrogant, guys. And there's no room for that kind of pride in the kingdom. Verse 25. You God, uh, verse 24, let me, let me catch you up. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Romans 10, 13, will you put it up there? So how do I get saved, Mark? How do, I, how do I get adopted? How do I get forgiven? How do I get that? If you know you're a sinner and he's the only one that can save you, just tell him. Man, I, I got to do something to be saved. Then you will pay for your own sin. 
It's as simple as that. You can pay for it or he can pay for it. There's no middle ground. That's it. It's not complicated. It's not angry. But God, in his divine wisdom and mercy and his sense of justice, said, I would rather kill my only begotten son than let you die without me. I want you in my family. So all you got to do is accept my offer to forgive you. Paul wanted the Ephesus elders to know that never, never, ever, ever had he ever come to them to feed himself. It was always about Jesus. It was always. Verse 22 of Acts 20, and we're getting close to the end here. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Isn't that good news? You, you, you guys, I, I know you go to church every week or you watch online or you sing these songs. But if you were to put all of that noise away for just a second and look at yourself, we are in trouble without absolute, free, 100% grace. Do you know that? That's why it's good news. We can only sing it as well with my soul and mean it because of what Jesus did, not because of what we have done. It's only well with our souls because of Jesus' gracious work on the cross. That's it. You can't sing that. Well, you can sing it, but you can't mean it if you are hoping to be good enough for your salvation because you will never measure up. Verse 24 again. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. That's what he talked about. Not religion, not morality, but the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. Now you know why I told you about Theodore Up. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. In other words, if anyone goes to hell, I've done my best to introduce them to God. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So here he goes. This is what he wanted to tell the Ephesians. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed, the shepherd, uh, feed and shepherd God's flock. His church, a purchase with his blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order for them to draw a following. That's religion. If you are visiting this morning or you're looking for a church online or you're not a follower, my question is, where are you being pointed to in that ministry you're a part of? Is it t-shirts that say Carpenter's Way Baptist Church or is it Jesus Christ? Where are you being pointed to all the time, nonstop? If it's not Jesus, it's just religion. Jesus is the only one that offers us what we need. There's a lot of religions that may offer you what you want. But what you need is what Jesus offers. Do you know the difference? And he's begging with them to stick with that. Even some men from their own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Verse 31, watch out. Remember the three years I was with you? My constant watch over, you, uh, over and care over you night and day and my many tears for you. Big finish here. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. 
I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Elders of Carpenter's Way, are you paying attention? You are an elder in this church, whether you're a lead elder or a shepherding elder. Not to get, but to give. Are you paying attention? Those who shepherd Bible study classes, you are not there to be massaged or to make people happy. You are there to tell the truth. How are you doing? Parents, you shepherd your children. You are not there to make them happy or supply every need and want that they have because their Father in Heaven will not do that either. He will give them what they need. Are you raising godly kids? Or are they raising you? When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them, and they all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he said he would never see them again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. This book that we're reading, that we're studying together, is not about John or Peter or Paul. It's about the Holy Spirit using people. It's very, very hard for us, those who grew up in the church or around Christianity, to understand that Paul wasn't really that special. Yes, God had empowered him to do some, as Jeff said, unusual miracles. That's what Acts says. But that's because God wanted him to do unusual miracles to accomplish his task. But he is no more gifted and filled with the Spirit than you are. You have everything you need, and if God needs you to raise the dead, he will give you that authority and power. If he wants you to speak in tongues, you won't have to fake it. You won't have to figure it out. You'll do it. Because you are inhabited by God himself, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who guides and directs and leads. And that includes if we lose our lives for this. It's okay. What is it that Jim Elliott said? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's all about Jesus, my friends. I want to remind you, though, for those of you who are sitting here tonight going, I've committed adultery, I've, I'm just so new to this, I can't, I can't wrap my minds around it. I, these, are, these are unique people. Might I remind you what Paul said about himself in Philippians chapter 3. I do not mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I'm going to press on anyway to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. I'm forgetting the past and I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. God is not asking you what many pastors are. He's not asking you to look back and think of all the dumb things you've done. There are plenty for all of us. He's not even asking you to look at your life right now and see what a loser you are. And Satan wants you to realize how, how, how much you fail so that you won't get active for the kingdom. What we do is we put our eyes on the prize, on eternity. And the only way we can get there is if we realize that we're not worth it, but he has made it possible for us on the cross. All you have to do is call in the name of the Lord, and if you have done that, why don't you believe it? When somebody looks at you and says, you don't act like a Christian, you just say, I know. I'm a follower of Jesus. Have you ever read the story of Peter? 
Just watch The Chosen. He's a loudmouth. I know The Chosen isn't the Word of God. I know that. But they do a pretty good job of pointing Matthew out, don't they? If you have not seen it, it's important. I'm just kidding. You have not outsend His grace or His task for your life. And if you think you have, then your eyes are on the wrong place in the first place. They're on Jesus. And that's why we should take communion more than we do. Because communion reminds us that Jesus was willing to pay the price because his Father wanted to redeem us and use us. That's what he did. The, the, the one side, and on, on one side it's, it's bread, and, and you can open it now and, and take that piece of bread out. And, and you only take this if you're a child of God. And if you're not a child of God, would you just accept his gift to forgive you and join us? Don't join Carpenter's Way. Join the followers of Jesus. Admit you're a sinner and admit he's the only one who can save you and thank him for his grace and give your life to him. I give my life to you today. But for those of us who are children of God, communion is for us to remind us that he didn't just float down, die on the cross, shed his blood, and go, but he actually lived for 33 and a half years, and there is nothing you are going through right now that he didn't go through. Did you lose your father at a young age? So did Jesus. Did your family mock you? So did Jesus. Jude and James, who wrote some of the New Testament, mocked him. Remember early in his ministry, when, when, um, when they were celebrating in Jerusalem and he was outside with his brothers outside, they dared him to go into Jerusalem, do some of that miracle stuff you do so you could gain followers. They were mocking him. You know what it, he knows what it's like to lose a family. He knows what it's like for the very religion he grew up in. He knows what it's like to be outcast and actually killed by them. They're the ones who put him to death. He knows what it's like to not be married. Are you single? Jesus was a human, and we have every reason to believe that he would have liked to have lived a full life. It actually tells us in Isaiah that he never had his own heirs, but was willing to give that up so that many would come. I believe that tells us that he wished he could have gotten married. He didn't get to live to be 34. Most of us have lived past that. The truth is there's not one temptation you felt, one struggle you've had, one sad thought you have that Jesus didn't have. You can trust him. And, and here's the thing, that's why we do the bread. When he was with the disciples, he said, this is my body broken for you. And he broke it and he said, and, and Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest, not who's distant from us, but actually sympathizes with our pain because he's been there. And so when we take the bread, we are reminded that while we're in pain, for whatever reason, have you lost a relative you loved? Do you miss them? Jesus felt that about John. While you take this, take a moment of clarity and realize there is nothing that Jesus you pray to hasn't felt himself, so he gets it. And we take this in remembrance of that. Father, thank you for not just coming down and sacrificing yourself, but living among us and being one of us so that we can pray and come to you with our needs. You relate to us so we can relate to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And in the cup, this is grape juice. It's not blood. <laughs> it's not. It, it's grape juice because it looks like blood, okay? 
It wasn't through him coming that we're saved. It was through the shedding of his blood that we're saved. And if you are his child this morning, when you take this, take a moment of clarity. You're not good enough to save yourself. You're not nice enough. You're not attractive enough. You're not wonderful enough. You're not moral enough. For those of you who think you're a pretty moral person and say that you never lie and you never lust, Last time you went to Walmart, what did you think about the people you were shopping with? Yeah, three of you giggled. The rest of you went, I don't go to Walmart. <laughs> you know what you think. I, I have said to Julie and Anna, and this is an overshare, but sometimes I go in there and I start thinking, especially on Friday evenings. And you know, there's people in there and you kind of go, where do these people come from? And, and just, to, just to confess... I've said to Anna and Julie, and they'll tell you this, on two different occasions I've said, I think I'm better than all of these people because that's what my flesh tells me. What a gross thing to think. And they laugh, and then they look at me like, oh, stop, Mark. And I'm like, no, I, I, I think my flesh really does think I'm better than a lot of these people. Last night, I went to a car race to Pine Valley. Guys, we're going to go. There is so, Whoa. I'm confident that I'm better than most of the people that go to those car races. But it was so cool to talk to them. I just spit. It was so cool to talk to them. They got their beer, and they're sitting there, and they're like, woo, you know, and there's testosterone and smells, and that's where Jesus would have been last night. It was so cool. Because that's where people, Jesus hung out. Remember what they called him? Friend of sinners. Thank you, Jesus, for loving people like us. You must look at us and never think I'm better than them. I just love them. Forgive us, Father, for, thinking, for us thinking we're better than people who have same-sex attraction or adulterers or, or Democrats or Republicans or people who voted for Trump or people who voted for Biden. Forgive us for thinking that we're smarter than them and better than them because we are not. We just need salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take this and remember that he's good. Amen. All right. If you're going to Brazil, will you come up here, please? Not ever. Not, not if you're ever going to Brazil. If you'll be going to Brazil <laughs> by next weekend. Some of you looked up and went, I want to go to Brazil. I hear the beaches are great there. Don't be shy. Come up. hey, you're all wearing the same shirts. I'm a college graduate. Don't be jealous. I went to college to, to notice all similar things. And, and the back has a verse on it, but it's in Portuguese. The God of what? What does it say? Huh? The God of hope? Come on. Pam, are you looking it up? Pam, you almost speak Portuguese. Okay, I gotta get up. I'm gonna get a microphone so you can read it. You got it? Okay. Can you do it? Okay. Sure. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. So we are sending these people to Brazil 
to not change their politics, to not convince them that Catholicism is wrong. It's a very Catholic nation, is it still? Our goal is not to send them to wear clothes like Westerners. They're going into villages. We're not sending there to do marriage like we do it. We are sending them there to tell them that there is hope in Jesus Christ. That's why we're sending them, right? So can we all stand together? And uh, let's, let's pray together. And I'm going to ask Pastor Adam if you would pray on behalf of the congregation for these folks. Absolutely. Thank you. Let's go to the Father. Father God, we love you. And we are grateful for your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life to pay for our sin debt. God, we recognize that we can do nothing of our own merit to gain salvation, to be in right standing with you, but that happens only because of Jesus and our faith in him. And we're grateful, Lord, for this team. Uh, that are about to em embark on a trip to tell other people about that very same good news. Holy Spirit, we pray that you empower them to bring your, your message, this message of the good news. We pray, Lord, that you comfort them uh, as they speak truth. We pray, Lord, for the people that they'll be visiting with. Father, that uh, you've prepared the way, you're preparing their hearts God, and that many would come to know you because of the ministry that's there and the efforts of this team. God, we pray for your protection over them. God, that you bring them back here. God, most of all, we pray for your will to be done, whatever it is. And we pray, Lord, for the courage to trust you as we uh, take each step. We love you, God, and we desire most of all to bring you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Adam. If you'd like to talk to these people, they'll just stay here for a couple minutes. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. Don't forget, uh, if you're wanting to make sure you're on information, go to the welcome table. We love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Pam, I am so sorry.